0: Okay, well good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Daniel. I didn't have Jameson in here to yell it back at me. We're glad you guys are here. And as Tiffany said, this morning is a question and response Sunday. So this means uh, audience participation is necessary and required. But you also know me and Kyle, so if we needed to talk for 40 minutes, we could totally do that. Uh, but uh, the, the more questions you ask, uh, The less we'll be able to answer. So, you know, it's the way it goes. So, we'll be glad to respond. But we don't want it to be a moment where it is seen as Kyle and I with the answers. But uh, our hope for these moments and in these spaces is that what we're doing is understanding that these moments of worship and these sermons and these series that we do are not intended to simply be. Uh, like us giving information and then we sort of learn something and move on, but our hope is that these moments in these spaces create conversation and that they're the beginning, that they're the launching point, that it's kind of something that we think about, meditate on, process. And so this past five weeks we've been teaching uh, on these different ideas that we think define who Mosaic is and what Mosaic's called to be and, and some of the things where we're going. And so We didn't touch on everything, so if you have a a question from a previous sermon, if you have questions on uh, something that we talked about in one of those sermons, uh, you can ask that, or if you maybe just have a question about Mosaic and how we would handle something, uh, how... Why, why we didn't preach on something else or, or some of these other things. Uh, sometimes what is not said can be as loud as what is said. So maybe you would uh, be interested to know more about that or, or feel that. And so uh, we couldn't talk on everything in a five-week series. And so there's lots of things that are important to us um, that help shape and guide who we are and what we do. And so we would be glad to um, yeah, a- answer any of those questions that maybe you are curious about that wasn't able to be covered in that five-week period. And a lot of you have been around for a long time, and so uh, maybe you don't have like a super specific question towards the vision of Mosaic or something like that, but um, responses and engagement towards and what the Lord's stirring and kind of where we go from here are are other great questions that I think all of us can find ourselves in. So uh, if you do have a question, you can, like I said, you can just text the number on the screen. Um, That's my phone number. But uh, it's so... I'll get it on my iPad and then uh, or you can just raise your hand and we'll repeat the question so people watching at home and if you are watching online feel free to text the same number um, and we'll be able to get your questions which is a fun way to do this so we already have a few questions that have come in and the first one I think is a good kind of a solid place to start off is there a specific scripture that Mosaic is founded upon? I'll let you Can do I just it. draw
1: attention to the fact that I'm probably going to be doing this
0: the whole day? Which one of us has the one that sinks? One of them, the sprint. The, I think the, you've got the sinker okay. and I've got the spinner. Yeah. Just, so, just, just draw One of them, to like, they're, 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 they're our office chairs. And one just know, slowly have, does I'm this. I'm not having the whole time. a good
1: time up here. I'm not just spinning around. It's not a juvenile sort of activity. <laughs> I'm just trying to face you all, okay? These stools we use in our office. You look at it just steadily. But um, yeah, actually, Isaiah 58.6... Uh, was really important to us, the idea of, of true fasting, right? What does it mean for the church to engage in true fasting? This is what true fasting looks like. Got right? We could read that, I think. It would probably be helpful instead of me trying to quote it from memory. Um, are you guys familiar with, with Isaiah 58?
0: Also, I need you to know he just opened directly to it by like one. That was amazing. <laughs> the Holy I was Spirit impressed.
1: It's that. the Holy Spirit.
0: <laughs> uh, is not this the
1: kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Now, if you know anything about Isaiah 58, the whole point of Isaiah 58 is to point out the fact that all of of Israel's religious customs are empty at that point. Not because God didn't anoint them, but because they've made them empty, right? They fast and yet they ignore the injustice that exists around them, right? So they're engaged in religious activity. Uh, They have the appearance of being holy Uh, But they're not actually engaged in terms of like actually loving the poor, loving the alien and stranger among them, loving those who have been wronged, like pointing out those injustices. And in fact, he says they fast only to to hit with a a wicked fist. This sort of language is used by Isaiah like they're violent people. So it's like they have the appearance of being holy, but in reality, they're just like everybody else. Like they lived in a very violent world. And so they just kind of embrace that violence rather than being God's people who were meant to be a people of, uh, of peace, who were meant to to bring God's peace into all of these sort of scenarios. Uh, and so they had kind of embraced that that mark of all the other cultures around them. Uh, and this is what, what God is saying through Isaiah, that the fasting he has chosen is to loose the chains of injustice and, and to break all these, these bonds that exist, uh, instead of just having the appearance of being holy, to be a people who are truly trying to do that. And in our city, that was kind of the earliest days, that was a desire. Actually, it was like the password to some of our earliest accounts, Isaiah 58.6. Somebody said that. It's just like, it was a, a really important thing. We were, we were founded on Isaiah 58. So. You should read it. If you haven't read the whole chapter Isaiah 58 before, read it. Well worth your time.
0: Our next question is, uh, what is the process, steps, or uh, route to being a commissioned partner? You hear that language. Uh, we use a, a lot of times when people introduce themselves, they'll say, I'm a commissioned partner. Um, I guess we could first say why we use the language of commission partner or what commissioning is, if you want to say that. And then I can give the steps and kind of how we do that. Yeah. Um, early on, we
1: try, and this is not, I, I try to emphasize so much that this is not to belittle the language used by other churches. Uh, membership is really kind of the best word that most people know you, to use to kind of explain what it's like to be a part of the church. Like you're a member of... This community, right? And that that totally works, but we said not in, in a means of of trying to deprecate whatever uh, or, or you know belittle what else is being said culturally within the church. Instead, we wanted to communicate something unique, uh, like the idea instead of membership, partnership is important to us, right? Because normally when we think of being a member of something, it's almost kind of like well, I mean, if you show up every so often, if you pay your dues, then you're a member, right? And it's like like you're a member at a country club you're a member at the gym you're a member at whatever uh, other civic organization you might be a part of right but if you're a partner in something then it means you're not just kind of like doing what you're supposed to do and now you get to be a, a member in the club you're partnering in the work that's being done there so the idea is that kyle and jonathan aren't going to lead the church and we'll show up and watch what they do because we're members and, and they kind of lead it instead it's we're going to partner with them in the work that they feel called to do in, in downtown birmingham So it's like if we believe we have this vision for the kingdom and what the church is supposed to be in the city, then we're inviting all of you to be a part of that with us. And we're acknowledging from the start by calling you a partner. If you are commissioned, um, we use that language as well because we want you to to recognize that you're not just a a name on a, a list of names of people who are a part of the community. You have been commissioned. Like we're called, all of us, uniquely to bear testimony, to bear witness to who Jesus is and to the reality of the kingdom. And we want to communicate that in every way we can so that it becomes something that really sinks into the depth of, of who you are. Uh, we want So when we use that language that you've been commissioned, that you're a partner, it's all about that, trying to, to communicate that there's something more happening here than just, you know, you guys coming in and, and watching what we do or just signing off on whatever we decide to do. You're partnering with us in that work. So.
0: Yeah, and I come my undergraduate was accounting and finance, and so when I first started coming to Mosaic and I heard the language of partner and we started using that, um, I always thought of it like it, it, as if you were at a firm or something like in, in, if you're a partner, your name goes on the like goes on it in some sense and you're liable and also like responsible in some kind of way for what happens in that. like there's a different accountability, but there's also a different uh, a reward like uh, like it goes both ways. there's more connection and engagement and so that's something that we want to see in this space as well as the church that it's much beyond just coming in like sort of a social thing but that there is when you have ideas desires longings for the church that you would sense that there's a role for you to play in that and that like when Moses, if you say well why don't you guys do x it's it's well why don't we like why don't we do x like your voice matters. And so the process for that to kind of step into that as you want to be more engaged with Mosaic is uh, we say that you need to be around for a while and attend the Blueprint class that uh, several of you have taken um, or heard about at least. We just had one and we'll probably have one again either late November or first of 2023. Uh, But there's a blueprint class, and it's a time that's similar to what our series was about. Uh, The one that happened during the series was a little bit different because we were talking about some of the stuff on Sunday morning that we normally talk about in that class. Uh, But we tell the story, we hear your story, and then from that we want people that are commission partners to be baptized believers that are engaged in the community with the expectation that you would be giving uh, of your time and of your resources towards the work that Mosaic's doing. And that you would agree with what the Lord has like sort of called Mosaic to do, and that you would see your role as a church member and as a follower of Jesus in line with what the like the, the unique space that Mosaic is trying to fill or do here in the city of Birmingham is our small part of seeing the kingdom come as it is in heaven, because we believe that each church. Uh, is uniquely called and equipped in the same way that individuals are uniquely called and equipped. And so we feel like the Lord has given us some things to do here and some ways to operate and function. And if you see that in line, then you uh, say, yeah, like I want to be a part of this. I see the Lord working and I want to connect to this and I'm going to give my time and my money and my resources towards that work. And I'm going to be engaged in the life of the community. And we don't say involved in small groups because we get some people work nights. Uh, some people have interesting, like, schedules and things. But, like, so you don't have to be in a small group to be a commission partner. But, like, that you'd be an active, engaged partner in the life, or, or uh, member, whatever language you want to use, in the life of the community. And as we see that, as, as you, uh, that's evidence, the work of the Spirit's evidenced in your life and what you're doing, um, then we'll pray over you and commission you. and So there's not like a tick this box, tick that box. It's sort of just like a, if it's a natural fit and, and you're already doing those things and then we come up here, we pray over you, anoint you over what, with oil and, and say that we see this happening and that we want to partner with you and what the Lord's called you to as you partner with us and what the Lord's called us to. And so uh, sometimes that takes years for people to kind of get there and then they're kind of figuring this things out and is this where they want to be? What's the Lord called them to? And sometimes people show up, take Blueprint, and they're commissioned within a few weeks or months almost of that class time. Uh, We got a backlog of people that we needed to commission over COVID because we wanted to be able to lay hands on people and to do that in person Um, and then getting people's schedules to line up and things like that uh, and just honestly to remember. And so uh, some of that's taken a little longer over the last couple of years, and you guys haven't seen that as much kind of actively up front, but it is. Uh, Something that we got to do a few weeks ago, and we'll do again in a couple of weeks uh, and commission some folks. And so then from that, as a commission partner, there are different things and meetings that everybody's always welcome to. There's nothing that's ever closed off to non-commission partners, uh, but we allow uh, people to engage in kind of a different kind of way. We'll hear your voice in a different kind of way and and have uh, expectations of that that you'd be around and in those conversations as you are a commission partner. So, anything else that you would want to add? That's
1: it. That's
0: cool. Another question that we got was, and we got two that are similar to this, um, centered around this idea of network and uh, around what it means to be a community that's more than a network. Um, So we'll start with the first half. I think this is a good one to to sort of uh, engage, is if as a community, um, how do we kind of hold one another accountable in doing that to to rise above being a network? Uh, How do we sort of call people into that family life when it seems as though maybe someone is using it just as that network kind of situation? So you preach that sermon. So you could maybe explain a, just briefly the difference between network and community and, and how we see
1: that. I think uh, it's a thing that all of us, like, I think we'd all be fools if we imagined that's not me, right? Like, I, I'm not one of those people. Like, I'm not here. This is not just a network. I'm, I'm trying to kind of, but the truth is, like, that's what we've kind of learned. That's not just like the last 20, 30 years. Uh, it's not just since social media even it's certainly intensified or been further exacerbated by social media and the prominence of like words like network everywhere. Uh, Networking is like, you know, an important thing to your professional life, right? Like all these things are like just ingrained in us. And so we just approach church that way. Uh, And so like, where should you go to church? Well, the church that has people like you uh, and that has programs and ministries that are applicable to you or to your gifting, maybe, even if you're like thinking sacrificially about like, how can I serve? Well, I need them to have something that I could be doing where I could you know kind of like do what I'm supposed to be doing, whatever, like how I'm made or gifted. You know, and that's generally how we think about it. It's just kind of like you, you look at it and it, it's kind of like church is nothing more than like a list of pros and cons. It's, like, it's just kind of like, well, this church has this and, and I'm like that, so that's good, I guess. And this church has this, so that's a little weird. The sermons are a little boring or they last too long or whatever else. The music is not really my thing or whatever else. or. Who knows, right? There's not enough young people, or there's not enough old people. Or, like all these sorts of things come to mind. And I think all of us are gonna deal with that. And we're not like condemning the idea that, like, I don't know that a, a college kid should necessarily go to a church full of 70 and 80 year olds. That might not be ideal, but at the same time, it's just like, it's also not ideal for a college kid to go to a church where only college kids go, right? Years ago, like with small group, one of the things we tried to do, uh, and we told everybody this, I feel like in a blueprint recently, yeah. I remember sitting and having a conversation with Jonathan, it's like, how do we help college kids integrate into the life of our community? It's like, we have a college group, um, and that's good, but like, what does it look like to open up every small group in such a way that they could be a part of community with families, uh, with adult people who are single, uh, with adult people who are professionals, who are working, who've kind of made that transition from college to work, with folks who are older and have much older kids, and have been doing this for a long time, and people who've been following Jesus for a long time, and people who are new to the faith, Like, how do we create that? And So that's something we've always done. We want to try to create, like, even like, at the level of like structure for what we're doing, every small group in our church, other than, I guess, we have one group, and it's not even limited to college students anymore. Mm-hmm. We have a men's group called Sons, uh, that's for, for younger guys. In the past years, we've had a group called Abide for College Girls, um, but beyond those, every group in our church is open, and we encourage folks to be a part of that. Uh, so, like, that's one sort of example of ways in which we're trying to invite people out of this sense of, like, church is just about finding people you can relate to easy, or finding people you have, you know, shared interests with. It's more than that, uh, and, and we want to emphasize that in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the ways we press is, like, the cool thing about being small is that needs will quickly arise, and the so it's like one of those things, one of those ways God has kind of, it is both conviction and it's just kind of like the nature of our community. It's just what God has given us over the years. Uh, because we're small, there's this point where you realize like you can't just be here and kind of like hang in the back for very long. You have to get to know people. You have to pour in. You have to serve at some level. Uh, like that becomes important and it won't necessarily look the same for everybody. But we want everybody to be doing that so that it doesn't become just a network that we're all kind of drawing from, that we all find, you know, this, this advantageous interest in, like, hey, this is, this is good for me, it's good for you, so we can hang out. But as soon as something hard happens, then, yeah, we'll both leave and go somewhere different, which is what people are, are used to with the church. And the church has only existed as such for the last, I don't know, 50 years, 100 years? Um, where you could actually leave a church and just went to the church that was nearest to you. So when you ran into really hard things or when you ran into people who were different from you that made you uncomfortable or a pastor who preached differently than you liked or music that was different than you liked, it was like, you just kind of learned humility in that. You learn to stay there. You learn to be present. And we want to press that uh, upon people. It's like it is so easy in our culture to just kind of consume whatever you like the best. And that's what you're you're always doing. You're in church consuming more and more and more. Like this church has this product and that church has this product. And I'll just consume the products that are offered to me that I like the most. And uh, that's emptiness. Uh, I I don't think that will will lead you into a a deeper life with Jesus necessarily. I don't think you will really be discipled in that sort of sense. Because you're still just self-serving at that point. Um, Again. You need to find a community where you have something uh, in, in common, but not at, like all of your interests, not all of your political sort of points of view or perspectives on, on life, all of this stuff. That, that should not be the same. And so we press that in a lot of different ways. But in terms of like, accountability, how we call people into that, uh, I think the way we've, we've normally said is like, we look at people and <laughs> hang around Jonathan very long, he's going to be like, you want to do the benediction? You know, like, you want to read the call to worship? You want to be Because that's that's part of it. We're going to call you naturally. It's just going to happen in a small community where it's like, hey, we need help. You want to do it? You're gifted. You're capable of it. Come on, let's do it. Right? And, and it will happen, I promise to you. You'll figure it out pretty quick. How do we hold each other accountable? Like, there's just all these ways that we um, will invite people. Keep going.
0: Well, what I was going to say, too, I think, is you uh, process this and, and, like, live it out kind of in life beyond just, like, Getting connected here and seeing Sunday morning is more than just like you coming and and consuming, because we will pull you into it. And that's one of the things about not just smaller church, but I think Mosaic specifically, um, there's been really great people that we've loved. And I totally get this. I'm walking through this with someone now that doesn't live in Alabama that is processing and they're like, I'm just in this like really difficult space. I love this church. And they're like, but, like, I, I get the sense that, like, they, they're going to ask a lot of me. And, like, I don't know if emotionally and mentally and, like, spiritually if I'm, like, there right now. And I'm like, I totally get it. Like, as a church that, like, ask a lot of people, like, sometimes you need that space and hear me on that. Like, there's trauma and hurts and, and woundings and, and, like, seasons you're going to go through where what you need is a season to heal. And you need to be able to say, like, I got to step back. And we'd like to try to do that in some sense of knowing that that's part of what being a community is. There are seasons in families where you go, hey, I'm, I'm going to need you to help out around the house more. I'm going to need you to do this more because like, I'm, I'm going to pursue this other thing and like, I'm not going to have time for that. And I know that's normally the thing I help out with or the job I normally have. And so there are these roles that function and shift among us. And as you do that, as you begin to like enter into that community and you see someone that is sort of like maybe not grasping that idea, I think you invite them and you hold them accountable by like pulling them into your life. I think all of the ways that we would sort of enact church discipline or accountability would be relationally by finding those people. And then this is where it comes back to like partners versus members is uh, it's kind of the same thing of going like we don't just expect the two of us to do that. That like sometimes the people in your small group, like you have a better bead on the lives and like kind of the, the goings and the comings of what's up there than like we would. And so then in that moment, it looks like, okay, like I sense that this person like isn't grasping this idea of what community can be and what it should be and they're maybe kind of falling short of what I've experienced it to be. And so then it looks like saying like, well, I'm going to kind of pull them into that with me. And as you create that relational equity, it does then look like having the confidence and creating a community where we are secure and like where we are able to kind of like challenge one another and know that like they're going to know where I'm coming from and I know where they're coming from and it's not out of guilt, it's not out of like anger, but it's out of this like, sincere desire of going, like there's more to this than what you're tapping into, and like I want to invite you into it because I'm experiencing it. And so then as you do that, as you kind of allow that relational connection to happen and that equity to grow and that ebb and flow, that challenging. But here I think is the problem, and then I'll move off of this, is that this is, on a macro level, the church is really bad at this. The church is really bad at being quiet about something, until it kind of reaches a public point and then we go well now we're gonna like decry oh well you can't do that instead of like missing the fact that they haven't been walking and and, like where were the checks and balances up until that point like where was the ability to sort of this isn't the best language but like to spar intellectually to challenge one another to like be open to the fact that we are different and we have different ideas and to not judge and, and all these different things But like we sort of get to these moments and it's like there's these big things like the church collectively can kind of do. Uh, Well, we're not going to officiate that wedding because you're living together. And it's like, well, where was the relational connectivity to like put discipleship into the life of those people up until that point? Or whatever it may be. And I'm trying not to open huge cans of worms here. But like there's this way we do this that we wait until it's like life or death instead of this kind of consistent everyday like. How are things going? And what that requires, and I think why we avoid it, is because it then requires the ability for you to open up your life to that person and to have to be honest about yourself too. And the person that you will lie to the most, without question, there's no one you lie more to than yourself. And that's humanity. And to, to open up and to begin to have that is to then to say, like I have to be, about, I have to be honest about where I am. And then, and so we, we avoid it, and so we try to avoid those tiny little conflicts, and then we get to these big points. But it's creating a community where I think that we're able to hold each other in tension and in balance in the small things, that then you can sort of allow that when you sense it or you know that that's happening, that someone's moving out of bounds with. And that's church discipline in general or, or church kind of challenge, if you, want to, if you don't like the word discipline, like correction, guidance. Um, I think that that's it at a large scale, and, and then specifically in this idea of when you sense that somebody's kind of just not engaging in the community that you know they could or, or would want to, that you you call them to it. You invite them over for dinner. You pull them into that communal life, and you create a space where you say, like, hey, I see this. Like, I see you, and i like, why? What's going on? Like, talk to me. How can we help you? Where can we engage in your life uh, would be my suggestion, Um, in connected to that then in this idea of community and network another question we got that I think is related especially to some of what you were talking is how do you balance um, the question is how do you balance the intimacy with evangelism and growth and uh, this idea that our culture is all about networks and bigger and better but then there's the small side of things and then there's this like that relational thing happens on a very small level but you also want to see the engagement of the community around. And so how's, how does Mosaic balance um, that tension? And then like, how do we then pour into discipleship of those here versus trying to reach people outside of Mosaic?
1: I would say yeah, that's a thing we wrestle with regularly. Um, that's a thing like, that's a question that's always on our minds because we recognize what we have done well for a number of years is is what we've been talking about, the idea of, of common life, the idea of community, the idea of relationship, of knowing and being known, right uh, a place of, of intimacy in terms of, of community and all of this. Um, but the thing we wrestle with as well is like, well, what does it look like for the church to be seen? What does it look like for the church to be evident uh, in terms of what's happening in the city? And a lot of times I will say, like, I think we have rather unhealthy sort of perspectives of what that's supposed to look like. And the things that we look to um, very often are just kind of like, you know, you all know churches that are doing things, and, and how do you know it's that church that's doing it? Because they've advertised that they're doing it, and they need everybody to know that it was them that did it. And it's just kind of like one of those things It's like, all right, I guess, I guess they're doing great work. And, uh, so, and there can be this sense in which, like a lot of us assume, that it's like, well, then if we're not doing that, if, if it's not as visible and as evident and like on the surface for everybody to see that maybe it's not happening, uh, and the way we think it happens is that it's, it's kind of reversed. Like it's, it's that sort of rather than like the sort of like big and it's going to trickle down into the whole city. If We do really huge things. We think it's more of like this sort of like grassroots every day. If we are following Jesus, like if we are living the life of a disciple, uh, if we are embodying who Jesus is and the reality of the kingdom, that will be seen. And we're always thinking macro level because that's what we want so desperately. But fruit is not born just on the macro level, right? It's micro level work that's happening. Cultivation is really important. Uh, And so that's what we've said, like like we're playing a a long game uh, for us in terms of what it looks like to cultivate the fruit of the kingdom. We want it to be something that's lasting. Uh, And we recognize that like the sort of slow work of pouring and, and working the ground and doing everything we know how to that is going to bear fruit in the, the, the long term. Uh, so yeah, like we, we think what's happening here, discipleship happening first here is what enables discipleship to happen in other places. People can't feel comfortable calling others to follow them until they've learned first to, uh, to be led uh, in some sense. And so that's what we wanna call people into is, is being disciples so that they can ultimately learn through that experience of having been a disciple, of being a disciple, how to call others into that. And we think ultimately, like, evangelism, like, more and more as I've gotten older, uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys, like, our present moment, there's a whole lot of conversation about proselytization. Uh, And we live, obviously, in a very free country, right, where such things can happen, right? Like, we support people, on the other hand, on the other side of the world who are proselytizing in countries where it's illegal, who are trying to make Jesus known in places where it's not okay. Uh, In fact, some of our friends uh, are no longer allowed to be in Nepal currently because someone outed them that even though they've done incredible work as an NGO, um, and, and just helped people, like just like concrete needs that have been met for years by them, on top of that they've been sharing the gospel and they're, therefore they're, they're not supposed to be around any longer. It's like a, it's a messy thing. And here it's becoming more messy, not in the sense that it's gonna become illegal, but in the sense that there are a lot of people that are uncomfortable with the idea of proselytizing someone, right? Like that's the language that's used rather than like sharing the gospel or discipling or speaking into someone. Uh, and so there's a lot of discomfort with it. And the thing I have landed on more and more is that I think evangelism is, is discipleship. Like a lot, we, we were kind of fed like this idea of like, you know, evangelism is a guy that stands up front and he has a title. He is evangelist. Or he's at least playing that role for whatever you know, time. And like he's going to stand up there and he's going to tell us the gospel and then we're going to respond to it in this moment. And that's what evangelism looks like. Are they're going to knock on your door and this person is an evangelist and they're going to tell you. The, the gospel. And in that moment, you're going to decide whether or not you believe it or whether you want that. Uh, and it's not to knock on any of those things. I, I certainly hope those kinds of things will happen. But I think ultimately evangelism looks like discipleship. It, it looks like calling other people to look at me like I, I want to be bold enough, confident enough in the Holy Spirit and his work in me that I can say, like, just follow me, come with me like, like to my home, to my church, to whatever else. And again, we always think, it's like, well, come to my church, come to my church. And I think we need to be inviting more people into our homes yeah. or inviting more people into, you know, just our lives, like who we are. Uh, and believing that if we have given ourselves to dis- as disciples to Jesus, they will see it. That will become evident to them and more than just our words. Like, it is our words and it is more. And that's what we were talking about, I, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, like that, that's for me is, is how we balance it. Like, we just believe it's a, a slower work. Uh, and it's a micro work and not just a macro sort of work. Um, yeah.
0: I've used a lot of uh, analogies on this and to try to be less uh, pejorative, I guess. Um, I've, I've su- juxtaposed weeds and oak trees. Um, and I think that that can sound uh, a little more pejorative than I intended to because that's implying that everybody that doesn't do it our way is growing weeds. If you are at my house, you drive down this big hill. Uh, well, there's actually two houses in our, on our street that have banana plants these things are crazy in Birmingham because like, they're technically like, not supposed to grow, but you can get them to grow. They don't actually produce bananas uh, because it gets too cold too fast or too early in the season before they can get there. But like, they, they get really tiny, and they cover them up, and like, they're really, really small. And then it's like somewhere in July, these banana plants will go from like this tall to like the top of the house. And it is insane. And they are beautiful, and it's cyclical, and they'll come back. But then around October, it's like kind of sad because you come down my street and there's this house and it's got these huge banana plants. And then in October, they have to cut them all off before it gets cold or it'll kill the plant. And then they just disappear and they kind of lay dormant. And like that's, to, to compare that as like, I think that there are some systems and structures that do that really well that are really good at like quick growth, quick engagement, quick like kind of like bringing you in And creating you a part of a system. Introducing you to these things. And there's rhythms and cycles to it. And the analogy breaks down quickly. But what I would say is that like we don't feel like we're supposed to be growing banana plants. We want to grow oak trees. And that's a language that Kyle and I have used consistently with the way we parent. With the way we disciple. And all of this. And if you've ever been around a lot of oak trees, there's this funny thing that happens. I can picture this giant tree that was in my yard as a kid. That like... I never thought about the fact that it grew until I left for a year, and then I came back and I was like, dang, that tree, like it grows every year, it gets bigger. Ann and I got the chance to live in a loft downtown, and like there was this weird thing that happened that there was a tree below our deck when we moved in, and then like by the time we, like we never looked outside and thought, man, that tree's really growing a lot. Like that thing's huge. Like never once, until we were like moving out and we took a picture and we saw that the tree was now in the picture. Versus when we had first moved in and the tree wasn't in the picture. And never one time in the 18 months that we lived in that loft did we go like, oh gosh, that tree is growing. Not one time. But then we compared two pictures and went, man, over 18 months, that tree grew like four feet. And like, that's amazing. And so we have, and and I I say that because like banana plants are awesome. They're beautiful. And like they're, I, I want some on the side of my house. Like, but that's, like, as a church, this is what I'm talking about at the beginning. Like, there's certain things we feel like God's called us to. And that's, like, we really want to give ourselves to growing oak trees. And that's a, it's a 30-year process in some sense of, like, it is a slow, it is, like, it is going to take time. And so it's not going to feel instant at times. Um, and that's okay for us. And so that's something that that's the image that we use all the time of, like, when we're praying together, when we're talking and it's this thing that like it's just going to it's going to grow and it's going to be like slow and, and kind of steady over the years. And so like I think as we do that, that there's a connection there to that evangelism idea and to discipleship. And I'm, I'm with Kyle 100 percent that I think those two things are like basically the same thing, even though we've separated them. Um, and there's this thing or this idea where like it's, it's all about inviting people into your life. It's about inviting people into the process of you following Jesus And a lot of that discipleship and evangelism is just going like, hey, like, come follow me. It's the words of Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. And Kyle and I get a lot of people, not a lot, that sounds, uh, we're not that big of a church, but we get conversations very often of somebody goes like, hey, what does it look like for you guys, like maybe disciples, especially young college folks, uh, they want to enter into these discipleship relationships. And Kyle and I will both say, we're glad to go through a program, we're glad to read a book if that's what you want. But, like, also what we want to do is we want to just have you over for dinner and, like, we want you to see us parent. We want, we want you to see us, like, be in our homes. We want to just invite you into our life and that there's something there about how that happens. And I think that that's a lot of the evangelism process of the, it's the same way. It's just engaging people where they are, entering into their stories, into their lives, and meeting them and what the Lord's doing amongst them. And it's the same thing for th- that discipleship process. And there does need to be, as Kyle said, there, it, we probably as a church could do a little bit better of a job of leaning more towards some of that structure, some of that intentional kind of like outreach, because we do kind of sit in the relational aspect of it. Um, and there, there's that idea that like we, you know, we can kind of, once you get that really nice communal, it's comfortable, it's easy, it's nice, you, you like it. Um, and there probably is times when we could be challenged to be pushed out a little bit more and so i think that's something we're talking about and processing how that would look for us to do some of that a little bit better and it's connected to or do you want to say something i was
1: just thinking like one of the things i've found comfort in over the years um like jesus calls to himself 12 men uh, who don't feel very well equipped um who don't feel like necessarily the best picks either um it seems like a Terrible decision he's making with some of these people. It's like they also don't necessarily all like each other because they come from very different backgrounds. And um, he calls twelve men, and he spends three years with them. Doesn't mean he doesn't. Obviously, he's telling crowds. He's doing all kinds of things, but his focused work is with these disciples. And if anything, he kind of tries to push the the crowds away because he realizes, Jesus says in in John, he, he will not entrust himself to men. He will not entrust himself to the crowd. The crowd is you know follows whatever whim uh, of the moment right and that's what happens when he's crucified right the crowd is always following its, its whims um, but he's interested in these disciples and it takes him three years for them to become something and even at the end of that three years they still feel helpless they still don't feel very well equipped and i'm like that's jesus three years. and I'm like, it's going to take me a lot longer, I imagine. And I feel like everybody's still going to feel helpless. Like, I I can't do that. I'm not the person to invite somebody into my home. Are you kidding? I'm not the person to, to call someone to follow me. And it's just like, this is how it's always been. Even the people who were in the room with Jesus, on the road with Jesus, were like, I'm not the one to do this. And it's just kind of like, if you think you're not going to feel that way, you're going to feel that way. And what we want to do is like emphasize, like, we all have to be doing this. Like, as we're all becoming disciples, we all have to be inviting other people. Uh, to, to follow us, uh, not because we have something to offer other than nothing but Jesus is what we have to, to, to offer them. Just come follow me as I follow, Paul says. Uh, but yeah.
0: We got two other questions that I think in connect to this, and uh, I'll say them both and we can kind of split up how we answer them. But one is, uh, how is, or what is Mosaic doing to engage with marginalized communities And then we had another follow-up question that I think is similar to this, uh, that is how are we or what are we doing to see the collective diversity, especially in our city, uh, to increase here in Mosaic, uh, and then also like with age and that. Um, And so that's kind of like diversity, marginalized communities, um, not being a monolith, these types of things. And then also we got a question on like how does Mosaic see like the moment of salvation or altar call moments, things like that. Um, And I think that those are both connected to some of what we're talking about. And so uh, which one do you want to go with first? Then we probably should start wrapping this up because the kids are are... too big questions. Yeah.
1: Um, I feel like salvation is probably a bigger question, Mm like how we understand salvation happening. Um, Not to say that we're not going to answer the other, just to say, I'll lead with this one Um, in terms of evangelism. You'll see um, we try to create space for response yeah Um, but the idea for us of coming to faith is not something that's about a moment i don't Mm -hmm. know about you i grew up in a culture where somebody emphasized the idea of like a moment like they talk about like a date you know like what day did you you know like you need to know that day i heard somebody say one time (laughs) in this old country church sort of thing like those kinds of things are, are pressed upon us but i don't know about you um it's not to say nobody has that happen people absolutely do but that's not the only experience. And I'd say most people don't necessarily have that experience. They have many of those kinds of experiences, right? Like moments where there's this, uh, this awareness, right? I, I can remember having moments where there was this sense of like dread and awe, all at the same time, and knowing that it was holiness I was encountering. I was encountering God and, and I couldn't put a finger on it, I, but I wouldn't say it's like, oh, that was it. That was what happened. Like it was happening long before that, or it was like, I started, I had this group of friends that were amazing and I pray all the time for my children that they would have good friends, but I had this group of friends that was like, you should, you should come to church with us. I said, like, to go to church? I said, well, no, you should come on you know, during the week with us. It's like, all right. All right. You know, so it's just, I'm just hanging out with, with my friend. I don't realize anything is happening. I'm just sitting and listening to people talk, talk about Jesus. I'm just sitting and, you know, around the Bible and eating donuts or whatever else. I don't know what's happening. And it takes years for me to be able to look back, right? That's, that's Soren Kierkegaard, right? Life is lived forward, but it's understood looking back in reverse, right? And it's so much of of my life that I look back and I see the spirits work long before I could discern it, kind of like what Jonathan is talking about with an oak tree. It's like you look back and you go, oh, wow, it has grown. Jeez, like in in this time that I didn't even realize it. That was my experience, Uh, a collection of all kinds of, of like really powerful moments and some really ordinary feeling moments all together in which there were. I finally, you know, it all kind of culminated in me going like, wait, I'm supposed to follow Jesus. I'm supposed to be baptized. I've prayed this prayer over and over again that people are always prescribing you to pray, right? And there were so many times in my life where I was going like, did I say it right? You know, because it feels like a magic incantation at some point. It's like, we don't want to do that to you. Like, because we realize, like, I've talked with, uh, like, Ryan, actually. Is Ryan in the room? Where's Ryan? In? I don't know. He's he in, in chocolate. Ryan, uh, Ryan only if you guys know, Ryan and I will often joke about that. Like, he was sitting in front of a screen, and he heard somebody say something. It was just like God just overwhelmed him. It was not words he spoke. Like, like that, salvation is the work of the Spirit in us. It's not because I said the right phrase or had the right sort of mindset or heart set in that day. No, it's, it's not that. It's not something I'm in control of. Now, it's something I can acknowledge by praying a prayer, right? So it's like one of those things that like we want to press upon people like, you need to respond. To the word. You need to respond in worship. We want you to, to follow Jesus. You need to make a decision in some sense, but just not in the way that people have often kind of like pressed upon us. Like it looks different than like, we're, we're not assuming that what we're doing here today is going to result in a salvation. Like these, this sort of language was used. And it's like, no, I, I think hopefully if you're in our community though, If somebody's not a believer, if somebody's kind of like on the fence and they don't know which way they kind of go, I think that if you're in our community and you do this with us, there will be this thing that happens where you'll look back and you'll start to say, like, I think I might be that. I think that might be who I am. I think the spirit might be doing that thing and I have to acknowledge it. And that's what we want to invite people into. So, yeah, we absolutely emphasize those things. We just approach it a little bit differently because like, we don't want to convince you that that's the only way it's going to happen. It's like this really powerful moment that's so obvious because a lot of people don't get those. Um, and a lot of people are looking back and going, it's like, but yet at the same time, like Miss Frankie used to say, a lot of you guys never knew Miss Frankie. She was this lady in her 60s that we helped for years. She used to always say, I ain't what I ought to be, but I sure ain't what I used to be, right? There's like this, this, this awareness she always had that it's like, I mean, this is a woman who'd been in prison and in drug addiction and all this stuff. Like she was aware she could look back at her life. She's like, I don't know when it happened per se, but I'm not what I used to be. And Jesus is, is making me new by our spirit, right? By his spirit, excuse me. So,
0: yeah. I would say now, too, like, looking back at my story, like, of my own journey back to faith and as a child, like, growing up in the church, there's all these moments where there are things you do and you go, like, I don't really know why. Like, I felt compelled to do that. I just did it. Yeah. And, like, things that, like, didn't really make sense in the moment of something you signed up for, a reason you, like, somewhere you went, something that you, like, a habit you picked up. And you're like, I don't know. Like, I just started doing it. And then looking back, I can see that it was the Holy Spirit wooing me. It was Jesus drawing near to me and his presence overwhelming me. And I couldn't name it as such then because, like, I didn't know. I was... 22-year-old kid just trying to figure out why I wasn't getting a job at the end of college and, like, why my life felt like it was falling apart. And in that moment, I felt compelled to start attending church on Sunday mornings, like, because I hadn't in four years. Like, I didn't just wake up and be like, I'm going to start following Jesus today. I was like, I think I'm going to maybe go to church tomorrow. And, like, I asked a friend, you want to go? And they're like, yeah, I used to go in high school. I'll go with you. That's not weird. Like, fine, let's go. And we sat in the back row and we dipped out. And I'm like, why did I do that, you know? Like, in that moment, like, I sat that afternoon, like, why did I do that? Now I can look back and I can see it was the Holy Spirit wooing me. It was Jesus drawing near to me in my pain and my sufferings. And so we do. We think there's all these moments where the Lord comes and he meets us. He's near to us. He engages us. And, and, there's, and so we, every Sunday, try to create space. And that's what we say. Like, if, if you feel the Holy Spirit doing something to you and pressing something upon you, respond in that moment. Don't, don't take that lightly. That the Holy Spirit would be doing that, but we usually don't use the language of that salvation moment, raise your hand, say a prayer. Um, but we do want to always encourage that as the Holy Spirit makes himself manifest in worship services, through teaching, through the reading of the word, through prayer, that you would uh, be quick to respond to those moments. And we always want to leave space for that. Um, and in that, I'll just say this quickly and then we can jump to the communion stuff um, and start moving that way. But, like, with uh, that, then it lines up with the discipleship, evangelism, that, like, it's this thing that's, that's happening kind of naturally and yet also has to have some real intentionality to it. And we're learning to be better about emphasizing and implementing and helping others put that intentionality in their life. Um, like it does, If you want things to happen naturally, there actually has to be some planning and work that goes ahead of it. Um, you can't just quick fix it, throw something on it, and go. Um, and that, I would say, is true of the marginalized communities and how we engage them and seeing diversity grow in our church. Um, we do want that to sort of happen. You want to avoid tokenism and all of these other things. Uh, but simultaneously, like you also work with what you're given and, and what you have. And so we would say that we think that work happens amongst us as individuals first. It's, uh, it, I'll, Kyle was the first to say this, and I've always used it since. But somebody says, like, why don't we see more uh, people of, like, color in our community services and in our church services? And he said, well, how many people of color have you had in your house in the last month? And the person just kind of, like, didn't really have a response. And he goes, until we're having people that don't look like us in our homes, we can't expect to have people that don't look like us in our worship services. Like that is, It it creates this thing. Until you're in those spaces outside of these walls, you can't expect that diversity to happen inside these walls. And so that's something that we long for and hope for, is to see that and and to have age and diversity of that. Um, Again, if if we go back to the oak tree metaphor, it may just be in 30 years when we all just grow up and have just stuck around that long. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it happens. Uh, But like, I would love it. I would love for people of older age to walk in here. We, we long for that. We long for diversity and all those things. But in the meantime, if you can't, you can't force that to happen. So what we say is, like, we're going to continue to advocate for those things. We're going to continue to be knowledgeable, hold each other accountable, learn and grow alongside of one another of how to do that well. Um, I have a good friend of mine. He's actually my next-door neighbor. Uh, like I went to seminary with and I asked him like what are we supposed to do as a church of mostly white people in the city of Birmingham that long for diversity and he said do the part of educating and making good white people and if the if the Lord has diversity and plans for you it'll happen naturally then because people are ready for it and uh, people of minority cultures will feel welcomed into a majority culture church because you've done the hard work ahead of time um, and he said, but if you wait until minority culture people walk in the door, then it's too late because they won't feel welcomed and a part of the service. And so he said, just do what the Lord would have you do now. And if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. Uh, and so we hold on to that. And I, I don't want to say that's completely true of salvation as well. But in that then, like what we want to say is that like in all of this, our, our passions, our desires, we're pushing towards and moving towards something that's at the center And like Jesus is drawing us near to these things and along that journey things are going to happen and you're going to look back and you're going to be able to see it. But it's why we take communion every Sunday is to say that like there's this thing in discipleship and evangelism where we believe that Jesus is beckoning and calling us to himself and that you don't always see it, you don't always understand it. I just was in this conversation over the men's retreat with somebody and uh, they asked a similar question and I said, I don't know, I kind of see like coming to Jesus in the same way that you see falling in love. Like I look back and there's all these little moments with my wife that like I, I see now or like that I could name and be like I understood something more in that moment but there wasn't like a moment where I was like okay well now I know I'm in love. It was it was a, a multitude of things. It was rhythms. It was spending time together and it was moving towards something in this shared goal and this idea and I think Jesus is similar in a lot of ways. It, it, He's calling you. He's wooing you. He's beckoning you to himself. And there's all these moments along the way where you understand that a little bit more. You, you can name it in a different kind of way. You can place something kind of in that moment and go like, there, there was a decision there. There was a, a decision for me to move closer to my wife. There was a decision for me to, uh, to talk to her parents. There was a decision to get engaged. Like There's these moments that you can name and go... I, you know, whatever, like that I understood it more than there was a moment where we started talking about it in a different kind of way, but like it it was never, it was always like moving towards something. And I think Jesus is similar. You can look back in your life and just see his work, his presence His drawing on you and go, that was always there, wasn't it? Like that was, it was always going to go this direction. Um, and and so that's why we come to the table every Sunday is is to mark, mark this. And we say at Mosaic that we believe in an open table. And what we mean by that is if you feel that call of Jesus if you feel this like thing this passion this desire to move towards him then come come and receive like come and partake in him come and, and move nearer to him and that like or cuz you're going to be moving away like this youth group 101 but it it still remains true like it, it, there's this thing you you either are or you aren't in some sense moving closer and nearer to Jesus and so as we come to the table we invite you, if, if you feel that call, if you feel that, and, and that can be if you've been following Jesus for 40 years, or if you just like were introduced to the idea of Jesus, or, or coming back to him anew, Like if you feel that, if you feel that pull towards the life that he would have for you, if you would understand that there's something that he would have to offer you in his death, burial, and resurrection, then come and receive that. And So as the band plays this next song, come take a piece of bread and the cup, Hold on to those elements. Go back to your seats. And uh, in between the two songs, I'll come up and I'll lead us in the receiving of those elements. Amen.